I'm Denise. I'm the Scottish one. And she's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise, the English one. And she's a fiction editor. And together, we're the Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Editing Podcast. Yes, hello. So this week we're going to be talking about writing and editing for the web. But why just have two editors talking about the subject when you can have three? Plus, it didn't feel complicated enough to do recordings with me in England and Denise in Scotland. So we decided to pull in an American too. That's right. Welcome, Erin Brenner. Hi, Erin. Hi, Erin. Hello, ladies. So good to have you here. So Erin, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are and what you do. <laughs> oh, well, where I am is um, in Haverhill, Massachusetts, which is about an hour north of Boston and no one ever knows where it is, but it's a it's a nice little city. It's east. Sounds east. It's east. east. Yes. Does that South help? Does that help everybody? Well, it helps me. It helps me. East Coast. Um, yeah, that makes me a New Englander. Uh, which oh, I'm a very strong New Englander. I love where I am. Isn't, it, isn't New England beautiful? It is. It's gorgeous. We're, I'm 20 minutes from the ocean. I'm an hour from the mountains. Um, we, have, we don't have big farms. We have lots of small farms around us, but still lots of, lots of trees, lots of parkland. Uh, it's, it's a really Sounds great lovely. place. I bet it's not as wet as Glasgow. <laughs> no, no. It sounds like it sounds like Norfolk, only yeah. Norfolk in England, only probably drier and less windy. I would think so. Well, we'll just have to come and visit you, and then we'll find out. Yes, please do. Please so do. tell us about your business. So I run Right Touch Editing. Um, I launched it back in. 2005 at least part-time um and i went full-time in 2010 so i'm coming up on a decade um at this point i run it as an editorial agency so i offer writing and editing and uh corporate communications training but i use subcontractors as often as i can um to try and grow the business and give other editors um some work which I, i love to do And also, I suppose it means that certain people have different specialisms in terms of corporate comms so that you can you can pick from that pool of of talent that you've got access to and make sure that your clients get the the right people on the case. Absolutely. It it means I get to say yes more often, which I really like doing. Um, and that's and that's why I, I branched out that way is because I get really tired of saying no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a thing, isn't it? It's a it's a thing. Of some, especially some of the writers listening might not realise that you know, the, the the whole scheduling thing around editing is tricky, isn't it? Because because there's only so much you can't you can only scale so far. Right. There's there are only so many hours in the day, yeah. and and no matter how you bill your clients you are selling your time, which is something I really emphasize when I speak to other editors. Um, And there's a lot we can do with with efficiency and and good planning, but you know, there's a limit. There's an upper limit to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've got more than a couple of clients who will say, well, I I have this project. Can you do it by tomorrow? Can you do it in (laughs) the next couple of hours? (laughs) Um, So I like to have, I like to be able to say yes. Um, And so if it's not me, then it's one of my one of my teammates. Um, You know, it's it's about knowing who's who's available and and being able to plug the right person into the right slot. And I I really do enjoy doing that. And you speak as well, don't you? You do speaking at events. I do. Um, I've spoken at quite a few 
editing events now. Um, I've spoken at uh, SFEP a few times and at ACES and EFA um, and Editors Canada. Where else have I spoken? Magazines BC had a, has a conference. Um, mm -hmm. and I've so you're getting in touch more with um, potential clients there, are you as well? Uh, exactly, exactly. These are yeah. these are magazine um, staff. Yeah. And so I'm talking to managers and writers and editors, and uh, it, it is it's a great opportunity to get in front of potential mm -hmm. clients and to to get my message out to more people. Um, mm. I think. I think um, that's a really good way. I, th I think that's something that editors should do more of. It's something that um, I think Louise and I have both done that as well, speaking outside our industry to mm -hmm. um, areas of specialism that, that we're interested in to you know, raise awareness of us and our services. And, and I think it's something that you know, editors could do an awful lot more of just to raise awareness of editing itself, um, apart from, you know, finding ourselves more clients. So I think particularly more... because that's a really good point that you've mm -hmm. both sort of like drawn us into there. Um, mm -hmm. We will talk about web editing for the web in a minute, but <laughs> yeah. that is important because a lot mm -hmm. of clients, especially in different industries, like the kind of clients that you work with, Denise, and the kind, mm -hmm. kind of clients that I specialise in, the kind of clients that Erin um, specialises in, are not necessarily using the same terminology when they need help with their writing they're not necessarily calling it the same thing and so raising awareness is is really important so that people know what they can get from us and how we can help them yeah yeah it just helps to inform people doesn't it yeah so shall we actually get back on topic then ladies <laughs> we could do that yeah. it's so fun though <laughs> yeah, it is. I know. Yeah. So uh, this week on the editing podcast, we're talking about writing and editing for the web, which is one of your specialism in, isn't it? It is. Yeah. So could you start off by telling us why working with web content is different from working with writing on the page? Um, sure. At its base, you know, it's it's about learning another writing style, so it's not hugely different. I think there's that misconception that um, web writing is, doesn't follow rules, that it's, uh, you know, the wild west of, of publishing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I've, I've been involved with web publishing for uh, a while. <laughs> about 20 years now. And right. it's, it's really not. Um, you know, the, the rigor that editors like is out there. So in that sense, it's not different. What's different is um, knowing some of the tasks that go with web editing um, that I know we're gonna get into, uh, you know, like SEO. Um, is no, It's also about knowing um, how how the web is read. And that's, oh, that's yeah. really the big difference is, is we're, we're all really good at reading the printed page, right? We've got the we've got the model down: white paper, black ink, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But on the web, um, reading is really difficult. We have this light shining into our eyes. Uh, people don't always follow the best uh, layout, so you might get a dark screen with light text. Uh -huh, uh -huh. I see that a lot lately, and I don't know yeah. why. I find it yeah. really hard to read. Um, and yeah, so reading, I agree. Reading online is really slow mm. and it tires our eyes out. And I think that's something editors, um, when you stop to think about it, is something we know a lot. Yeah, we know yeah, very well. Yeah. Definitely. 
working on screen a, a, a lot. And, and also thinking about that, the way um, sometimes when people are reading web content, they're not always in the best environment for, you know, so you've not just got the light coming from the screen, but you might have poor lighting behind you or to your side. Mm -hmm. and that can affect the way you engage with it as well. So I guess we need to be editors need to, and, and clients need to be thinking about that. Right. And, you know, maybe you're reading it on a big monitor or maybe you're reading it on a little itty bitty mobile screen. Um, mm -hmm. But there's also so much on the web. You know, when you're looking at a printed piece, that's it, right? Yeah. There's nothing There's nothing else to draw you away from it on the piece, you know, but yeah. online, everything is the same distance apart and that's one click. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. a, just a rabbit hole, isn't it? It really mm -hmm. is. It is. There's so much to distract us and we'd much rather go play a game or look at Instagram or Facebook than whatever it was that brought us to the web in the first place. So what we tend to do because of these things is we tend to scan rather than read. Uh, so we will look for keywords, which is why keywords are so important is because we're looking for the right words that tell us this is the right message. And we're spending most of our time um, on that first screen full of information that what they call above the fold. Uh, and we're, we're scanning, we're looking at headlines, we're looking at bullet lists, we're looking at bolded terms, we're scanning in a pattern until we know that what is there um, is what we're looking for. And if through the scan we get enough information, we're not going to bother with the rest of it. We're right. really not. Mm -hmm. That's a good lesson, isn't it, then? Because so that for, for, for writers, so for businesses who are self-editing, they need to be putting their key stuff at the top, is what you're saying. Absolutely. Uh, so web writing style looks for um, the most important information in the top paragraphs, but it's also top loading your paragraph, which means that first line, that first sentence, your most important information sh should be there. In a sentence, you want to front load your information. The okay. most important idea is at the front of that sentence. Do you know what I'm going to do? When we get off this, I'm going to go and check my website. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true because I find that whenever I edit for, for, you know, web copy or copy that's going to be read on screen, it's often that you, I'm deleting the first paragraph or, you know, it's like throat clearing that people do in the sort of run up to their, to, you know, giving their information. You need to get rid of all that, don't you? Because otherwise you've lost your reader before they've even begun. Absolutely. Yeah. It's one of the big points I make when I teach this stuff is that, you know, when we're in school, we're taught to write essays where you have an introduction, you tell people what you're going to tell them, then mm -hmm. you tell them the thing. And then in your conclusion, you tell them what you told them. <laughs> and you have to you have to throw out it's most true. of that in, yeah. in, in web writing. You have to get rid of that throat clearing. You have yes. to get rid of that introduction. You have to really, it's much more like fiction in that regard, where you open up page one of a, of a, a novel and you want to be yeah, writing right that book. You want to be engaged right mm -hmm. away on a, an emotional connection. You want to know more. And web writing has to do the same thing. We have to grab people as soon as possible. And we have to write in a way that means they don't have to read every word to get your message because they're not going to do it. And um, are there any other patterns that we need to think about, Erin, when we're um, when we're writing um, our web co copy uh, on the page? I mean, I know you said front loading or top loading um, and that that first part of the screen. But are there, is there anything else we need to be looking at on that 
on that page. So readers online scan in specific patterns and the most common one is the F pattern um, because so something catches your eye like an image or the headline and then you will read a line of text and that's the that's the top bar on the F and then you scan down the left uh, the left the left margin reading the first few words of a sentence or a paragraph um, until your eye latches on to another line um, and you'll read left to right, maybe not as far as the right margin. Right. Um, and, and then you go back to the to the left margin and you're just scanning down the left so that your eye has made an F pattern. I think that's useful to know. I, yeah. It's quite interesting because I've seen various things over the years about all these different letters, but that to me makes most sense because I, well, especially if you're, if you, if you live in the West and you're reading English, that's the way you're used to moving left right. to right. So you're going to mm -hmm. start there. Um, right, exactly. but that kind of fits in that yeah. you're it's almost like you're losing interest by the time you get to the bottom of that F. <laughs> and what about on mobile? Do people behave differently with that? So on on mobile, people will skip words if they can. I mean, they will not read if at all possible. If an image will tell them what they need to know, then they will skip the words entirely. Um, I think a lot about because I do this all the time. <laughs> I go to Amazon on my phone to look for something. Oh, that's that picture is is the something I want. I want. I'm not going to read the description. I'm going to press the buy now button, uh, um, and right. and that's it. And that's what people will do because it is so hard to read on that small screen. Yeah. So I suppose for businesses, um, it's getting away from this idea of having big blocks of text that are off-putting mm -hmm. and perhaps using infographics and, and visuals much, much more to convey their message and their information. Um, because we're, we all know how off-putting these big blocks of text can be, can't they? Absolutely. And, and also thinking about it's worth any any anybody who's got a website checking what their mo the mobile version of their website because I know when I built my website I built it on a large screen and then my website host actually sort of converts that into a, a, a mobile friendly thing but it's making sure that the way I've laid it out on the big screen when that converts that that is actually working that's because that's that might not yeah happen. it doesn't right. always happen automatically does it no it no. doesn't happen nicely no, no, and and it's um, and that's really more the technology end of it. Um, as editors, we're usually just responsible for the words, but yeah. companies should be ensuring that no matter what device uh, and no matter what platform a user is using, they can get at your website because there's yeah. nothing more frustrating than than wanting to get information and not being able to because yeah. of poor web yeah. design yeah. and people yeah. will go elsewhere they yeah. do and they yeah. can can't they mm -hmm. they can go quickly and, and you really it. don't have very you don't have very long either do you to to grab their attention before they're they're off <laughs> we make, make these decisions really quickly don't we mm -hmm. it's yeah. just a couple of seconds and, and yeah. then people are gone if if they don't get what they need from you yeah. so one thing that separates web editing from other kinds of editing, uh, especially editing for print, is you need to be aware of SEO, of search engine optimization. Uh, whether or not you have been tasked with 
creating some of the SEO elements, um, such as your metadata and your keywords, you want to know what your client's keywords are. Uh, you want to know what their audience is like so that you can make sure those keywords are in the copy, but they're not overwhelming the copy. Yep. Um, because even though we're writing for people and we must always, always write for people, we also have to write for the search engines. Okay, and yeah. we, the search engines have the same goal that the publishers do, which is to give readers the information they're looking for. Um, so you have to deal with that, that kind of middleman, middle computer oh, technology yeah. thing yeah. going on um, mm -hmm. and consider how, how search engines read your site. And they, they do come to your site and they will look through to see, uh, you know, do these keywords seem to uh, really be on your site? Do they answer the question that that readers have? Mm. You know, so if uh, if a reader goes to Google and and plugs in cheap um, flights, you know, and your website, you have a page talking about how to find cheap flights. You know, you certainly have to use that phrase, cheap flights, but you want to give them enough information for the reader to be able to do something and your search engine's going to pick that up. Yeah. They're much better these days with understanding context, with understanding synonyms. Um, so you don't have to do uh, what's called keyword stuffing. I yeah. was just going yeah. to ask about yeah. that, yeah. about if you could explain what keyword stuffing is and why it's not a good thing. <laughs> so keyword stuffing is using a keyword over and over and mm. over again. Mm -hmm. uh, on a page. As an editor, if you read it, you'd say, why didn't these people use a pronoun once in a while or, yeah. or a synonym once in a while? I think editors are really good at sniffing this stuff out because it's, it's bad writing, yeah. right? To yeah. overuse a word. Um, and you don't have to in order for search engines to know that your page is about um, cheap flights or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I go to, <laughs> there's a, um, a recipe website that I really like, but I, I really wish somebody would tell them that they don't need to do this because <laughs> they do it all the time. So, you you know, you'll, you'll find a, a recipe for um, oh, low-fat chicken korma and they'll say, uh, this low-fat chicken korma recipe is really great because it uses low-fat ingredients and the low-fat chicken korma that you're eating is going to be much lower in fat <laughs> than other standard chicken kormas. So how to make this low-fat chicken korma? And I mean, literally pages and pages and pages of this and I find it really so annoying, really often. Mm -hmm. And I have yeah. to scroll through pages of this to get to the recipe at oh. the bottom and I'm sure it must put loads of people off and and you know without all that it's it's a fantastic website they just don't mm -hmm. need to do it um and I, I don't think people certainly some people don't seem to have moved on from from that approach uh, which is such a shame really yeah so that's a really good point though that Erin's made isn't it that that the, the <laughs> technology has become more sophisticated the search yeah. engines the algorithms have become more more sophisticated and so we can write well for the web yeah we can use keywords well there's mm -hmm. such a thing as too much low-fat chicken korma definitely <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure about that but okay <laughs> So that was actually really useful, Erin, just thinking about the sort of technical aspects of uh, writing um, web content. Um, but can I ask you also, um, where do you think people would actually 
be creating their content and why would they do it there um, directly on their website or somewhere else? Uh, what do you think is the best or the norm for that? It really depends. If you're starting a website from scratch, the most likely you're going to start writing copy um, in Word or another word processing uh, program. Uh, mm -hmm. That's where I prefer to work uh, because we have all our lovely tools in oh, Word. Oh, yeah. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we love our and tools. Then have, and then to have all the copy in one file is, is yeah. helpful because then you can catch inconsistencies. Um, and again, you can do things like go through all the, the subheads and be more efficient in your in your writing and editing. Yeah. Um, but if you're just doing a couple of pages or if you're um, doing blog posts or news stories for a website, then it's likely that your writer is working right in the website in the content management system. Mm -hmm. uh, it may be something we're familiar with, like WordPress. It may be something homegrown, which you're afraid to look at. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have one client where I, I don't know where this CMS comes from, but oh, oh I, it's just don't look at it cross-eyed because it will go down. <laughs> oh, that's so stressful. Yeah, it is. And it's why I don't like working there. But um, if you're doing you know, just blog posts or quick changes, that's probably where you will be working. And again, it, it will depend on the actual project, but there are times where if I'm still working on a lot of copy right in the CMS, I'm gonna dump it into Word yeah. and work on it there and then copy it back. Yeah. Um, just because sense. I like my tools, I like having a backup copy and I don't yeah. worry much about losing everything. Um, I worked, yeah. I worked in a website today. I worked on a, a I, I proof three news stories a day for a website. And one of them, uh, my last one today, I was working on it. I had gotten it done. I hadn't pressed the save button and I closed the window. Oh, no. I had to do everything. It didn't take oh. that long, but no one wants no. to do that work. No. Oh, no. that's such a pain, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. So that's why we like working in words because we can recover things usually yeah. as well, yeah. can't we? Yeah. We're doing a whole um episode on this in season three, I think, aren't we, Denise? Yeah. Like why yeah. why we recommend any writer start you know uses Word in particular, but work sort of more generally word processing software, but particularly Word. It's exactly that issue. It's about using those efficiency tools and and safety. Yeah. Mm -hmm backup yeah. yeah so Erin at this stage you know before uploading to uh, CMS um, mm -hmm. what sort of things would somebody writing web copy be looking to check then uh, I'd imagine a lot of it's similar to any writing but is there anything specific for the web that you would be looking for well certainly I mean and again I like to emphasize the point that um, as a copy editor, you're always checking spelling and grammar and usage and style. These things don't change. And, and yeah. uh -huh. um, we do do this for web copy. But I'm also looking at, at the structure of the paragraphs. Are, are they dense paragraphs? Uh, because I'll break them up and make them yep. shorter so that we have mm -hmm. more white space on the page. And I'll look for the same thing for sentences. Are they overly long? Um, I don't like to see embedded too many embedded clauses uh, in a sentence in web copy. So I'll pull them out and I'll simplify sentences. That's, that's a really good point um, because, uh, 
uh, I've noticed um, even when I'm checking my own website that copy that even that where I think the sentences are quite lean on my site on the bigger screen, as soon as you hit mobile, you're looking at walls of text. And yeah, so the right. rules that you apply if you're writing a nice A4 A or a, uh, US letter size piece of text, um, sort of essay style, um, you know, where longer paragraphs of work or if you were reading a journal article or something like that, that doesn't work on, on a website. Right. Off, you know, it just looks it just looks overwhelming. Mm -hmm. it, it really does. And so that's those those are things I look at particularly. Yeah, I just wanted to pick up on a point that Louise mentioned there about even though she felt her writing was lean, that um, it still didn't convert well to mobile. And it's something I think some people might have trouble with when um, perhaps they're a personal brand or they're, um, you know, a solo business owner and it is just them and um, they like to write in a quite a personable, mm. conversational mm -hmm. tone, which can itself be quite... Um, you know quite relaxed quite circuitous and quite long sentences with embedded con um, clauses or going mm -hmm. off at tangents here and there do you uh, how do you deal with that because obviously you want to find a balance in something like that as well don't you you do and there's there's an argument that people will read more online when it's engaging that they'll read longer copy. Um, so, you know, first and foremost, you have to make sure the copy is engaging. Um, and then I might start pulling back um, parentheticals and, and, and mm -hmm. we're off the topic. All right, let's get rid of that stuff. And can we simplify these sentences a little bit? Or can we break some of the paragraphs up um, and have long copy, have a thousand words, have 1500 words, but you know, break up the paragraphs. Can we throw in some subheads? Mm -hmm. um, Make it more, digest, like more digestible yeah. sort of thing. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. So looks like do that. count. Looks do count on online, don't they? <laughs> yes, they not do. just your face. That's right. <laughs> so, um, uh, I think there's potentially quite a lot to talk about here, but um, I think it is worth going into what writers need to check once their content's actually posted online. Um, so in addition to all that structural and grammatical mm -hmm. stuff, Erin, what else do we need to be thinking about? We talked a little bit, bit about headings there, but there's there's other stuff too, isn't there? The, there is. Um, when you start to pull a page together, you know, you, you'll, you'll have, uh, you might have images. Uh, so do they have captions? But they should always, whether they have captions or not, they should always, always have alt text, um, which is a description of what's in that image that screen readers will read out to, um, say, a visually impaired person um, mm -hmm. to describe what's in that image. Um, and you want to make sure you always put in your alt text for, for images and audio and video. They all give you the little um, options in the CMS to, to put in your alt text so that uh, those who are using screen readers, for whatever reason, um, are included in what's on the page, especially where web is so visual. Yeah. We're yeah. doing so much. If you've got a, a visitor who doesn't get any of that information, how much are they missing from your page, right? Yeah. How much of the message is gone? Um, so that's really key to do. 
And do you have any? Sorry, sorry, Erin, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Do you have any specific do's and don'ts for how you write alt text? Because I think it's quite a neglected area that a lot of people miss out, mm. perhaps because they're not sure about what they what level of detail to go in or what they should or shouldn't be including in it. So do you have any particular um, guidelines for that? Um, you know, if it's if it's an image just for um, just to pretty up the page, mm -hmm. it's OK to say it's a decorative image and leave it at that. All uh, right. Okay. OK, if there's text in that image, you absolutely want to make sure that 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 your your alt text says that mm -hmm. um, and to be as descriptive as possible within the whatever character count you get yeah, <laughs> in yeah. your alt text box and sometimes it takes a little little playing with to see how much space do you have mm -hmm. and how much information do people need to to get the message that's in that image right that's where Thank copy you. that's where copywriting skills are really going to come in isn't it that sort of yes. creating that kind of really um sort of potentially quite rich but short descriptions um right. so it's not just so much about editing but about writing there mm -hmm. um Absolutely. so yeah that's that's really good and what about links should we talk about links a bit because that's absolutely um so you have two kinds of links right you have your internal links that means the link goes to another page on that website. Internal links are looked at very favorably um, by the search engines because it mm -hmm. means you have stuff. Um, you have more stuff to, to share with readers, but it's also good for keeping readers on your site, which is mm -hmm. often the goal. Um, how long can we keep readers on our site? How much can we get them invested in our site? If you're if you're a blog, you want them to read more than one post. Um, so, you know, leading them off to to more content on your site is really valuable. Um, outbound links, external links, these go to other sites. And this is where you want to be careful uh, because you are essentially sharing their reputation. Whoever you link to, uh, it's like hanging out with them in real life. Right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if you're yeah. quoting the New York Times, it's great to link to the New York Times um, that the, the search engines will see that as a positive. Your readers will see that as a positive. But yeah, you want to think about uh, who are you? Who are you hanging out with? Who are I've you got a great with? story about that, like a really good example okay. of a negative <laughs> example of that. Yeah, um, a few years back, there was um, uh, one of the British newspapers was doing a feature on essay writing mills and talking about the problems of plagiarism and um and there was a discussion around foreign language students um seeking language assistance and and how what the you know that kind of blurry line between assisting um with um grammar and spelling mm -hmm. and punctuation and how that might feed into actually um helping them sort of colluding in content creation which is for someone's doing a degree that's not acceptable so what the what the newspaper did though, and and it was a it was a it wasn't some small little it was a I don't know whether I should mention it but it was a it was the Guardian there I've said it <laughs> it was Guardian done it now <laughs> Guardian which is a massive massive newspaper mm -hmm. in Britain and they they quoted a few editors and uh, they wouldn't put a link into my website do you know whose link whose website they did link to they linked to the, one of the essay writing mills. 
Oh no! Oh, that's awful! <laughs> Unbelievable! You know, so they were criticising these these essay writing mills for for basically helping students to cheat, and then mm-hmm. actually provided outbound links to the these people's web these organisations' websites. And I said oh, to them, "Who was in charge of this? I, you do realise what you've done there, don't you?" And she just she just didn't get it. Is that you know there was such an and I'm only mentioning this because if that can happen, I'm sure that wouldn't happen now. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but it was a good few years ago. Mm-hmm. But but if you know that business is, you're absolutely right, Erin. Businesses when when we when we're linking to external content, when we when we link to them, we're endorsing them in a sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because yes. We're sending traffic their way, and so if you don't endorse what somebody's saying, you need to really think carefully about. Yeah whether you want to be putting valuable link juice in to send yeah because an SML having a, a backlink from the guardian i mean that's like gold dust really it isn't it it's crazy as well i've just like you know said like you know we love you anyway so um, <laughs> great point erin thank you for making that and that's really really important to that that any business um or any writer with a website any editor with with a website you yeah. need to be thinking about reputational links. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. And what about metadata, Erin? How um, how carefully do you look at metadata? I'm thinking very carefully. But... Yes. <laughs> um, so your metadata will be um, the title of the page. It'll be a description of the page. And it may include um, keywords, may include categories. Depends on the CMS. Um, and th- this, uh, this website, I, worked on earlier today that they're hooked into like two or three different services that help send out their their metadata um, to help Mm -hmm. get readers in Um, and yeah you want to make sure that the titles are always accurate you want accuracy first because you have human readers who are taught not to trust links or websites Mm -hmm. Um, so you want them to know what they're getting Um, but you also want it to be interesting enough to get them to actually click through to be not so much click bait but to be click worthy if it's if i'm going to click through on something it's got to be worthwhile um so Mm -hmm. i tend to think of titles as are they click worthy would i spend my time i really Um, like that i I like that term click worthy yeah 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 it's it's sort of the positive side of clickbait isn't it right yeah because Mm -hmm. you do need people to click through Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and you know your description should it's like any good teaser any good Mm -hmm. news story lead Right. You have to let people know what they're getting um, so they have an idea of whether or not this page is going to answer their question, because this is the the meta description is what ends up on your search engine result page. You get your title, you get that little description underneath the title. That is your your meta description. And uh, it should be engaging. It should be intriguing, but it should be accurate. And I think. You nailed it there, though, as well. You said it should answer the question because ultimately mm-hmm. we are creating content that solves problems, aren't you? I mean, if you, right. whether you're selling something on a website or selling a service or um, providing information, whatever you're or entertaining, whatever you're doing, you're solving a problem for somebody. You're cheering them up because they're miserable <laughs> or you're selling them a product <laughs> that will help them do something better or whatever, you know. Right. We always go online for a reason. Um, There are various reasons we go online, but there's always a reason. And so a website's job is to fulfill uh, that need, that that 
that desire. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's a lot to think about beyond just the actual copy itself and um, with mm -hmm. all these additional things. Um, so what about quality control? So a lot of people self-edit their content. Um, do you think it's worth always bringing in fresh, fresh eyes to have a look at it and to edit or proofread? Or are there only certain circumstances where do you, you would think that would be necessary? Well, you know, as an editor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're always going to say always, aren't we? <laughs> right. But I've published my own. I've had a website for years and and I've had other editors say, hey, you know, I found an error on your site and I never want to want someone to find an error on my site mm. well you know it, so to me if it's worth sharing something publishing something so anyone can see it and if you are looking to do this because you're making money or you have a, a, you know you have a, a message to get out there then making it the best it can be is is really a good investment I, I think it's always worthwhile. I'm always surprised. I'm still surprised by the number of websites I see that uh, this, this kind of goes back to something Denise was talking about earlier. But this idea that you go to all that trouble to build your website and then, you know, you do see some business websites that are that are just r so sloppy and you think mm -hmm. it is really off putting. And and that that has made me possibly unfairly judge that business negatively. And um, it's, you know, they could have, by not, not investing compared to their overall capital flows, could, uh, investing a relatively small amount in, in making sure that their message was really, really sharp. And mm -hmm. um, it's a real shame because it, it, it there is evidence out there. I know I've seen studies. I can't quote any off the top yeah. of my head, but mm -hmm. I have seen studies showing that, that how damaging having a poorly rendered website is. It's true. I mean, we're we're told not to judge a book by its cover, but it's exactly what we do. It's our shortcut to whether or not we can trust somebody or, or we can yeah. trust a business. And yes, we will absolutely judge a company based on the quality of its website. And that will include its writing. It will include its graphics. It will include how long it takes the page to load. It will include whether I can get it on my phone or my laptop. Mm -hmm. um, all of these things are are potential um, barriers to to people trusting you. Mm -hmm. And it is mm -hmm. so easy to go find somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And we keep coming back to that, don't we? But mm -hmm. it's so true. It's really important to ram this home because if I go into to to the city and decide I'm going to do a bit of shopping. Um, it, it might take me a bit of an effort to go from one big department store to another. It takes me seconds, milliseconds to do it on the web. So right. easy. Yeah. I can just bounce out. And so, yeah, really good point. So, um, Erin, thinking sort of further on from that issue, um, do you have any guidelines for how many passes you think um, web content needs prior to publication? I know we can edit published content but I suppose it is that fear that what what will be the impact of that one thing that slips that slips through well there's there's what we think should happen the ideal um, and there's what actually happens <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm I'm totally in favor of you know having something copy edited and then once it's put in the CMS having it proofed um, and I've worked with clients who do that who are very scrupulous um, and who care a lot about quality, and we get to do those two passes. But I've worked with so many more clients where it's yeah. one pass. Yeah. yeah. 
and and it's if if I only get one pass, I hope they're giving me access to the CMS because at least there I can look at the preview pages and see how things are rendering. I can click on links to make sure they're working, which is a huge deal. And I don't see it enough that if you're if you're working with web copy and you're at a point of being ready to publish and it's in the CMS, make sure you look at the preview pages and click on each and every one of the link because yeah. it is so easy to to mistype something, yeah. to have, uh, you know, errant code in it. Um, and make sure the pages, the link needs to work. It needs to go to the page you expected. And the page needs to actually be uh, related to what readers were reading about. Yeah. You know, it has yeah. to be appropriate. Um, and so you have to meet those three, those three things. And so if I'm only getting one pass, I want to be able to click links. It's really yeah, important. That's a good point. That's a really that's good point. Because really yeah. there's nothing more frustrating than ending up on an irrelevant page or a 404 page, which for yeah. people who don't know what that is, a lot of listeners will, but some won't. That's the page you end up on when it's all gone wrong. <laughs> the yeah. worst thing is, is when you go to a page that is no longer owned by the previous host and is mm. now a porn site or something oh, yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That happened a lot in the early days where, you know, sites went up and they were they were killed immediately and then somebody else took them over and oh you got an eyeful. <laughs> <laughs> Check that's, your links. That's not a good relational link, is it? No. no and no. and the other thing I, I would suggest as well is, you know, make sure your link goes to the the exact page of a website. I hate being sent to the home page of a website and then I've got to find the page that they're talking about myself. Mm -hmm. I want the link to go directly to the blog post or the service page or whatever that they want me to read. I don't want it to go to a generic home page that I have to navigate from. That that puts yeah, me right. off completely. Yeah, I I agree. It should go to to the closest source it can. Mm. Not just me being fussy. And now, and I think nope. it is that trust issue again, because I sometimes mm -hmm. feel if I'm sent to something, and I I feel that I've been sort of manipulated into looking at content that I wasn't interested in, then that immediately makes me less trusting of the site. So whereas if somebody says, "Here's an article about low-fat chicken korma," <laughs> back to that again, then I want to go to that recipe. You know, yeah. I, I, I want to go to that recipe. I don't want to go to uh, a general cookery site you know because no. that's just manipulative right. mm -hmm. yeah um so erin can i ask you about fact checking and authenticity um because one of the things i've noticed about some web content is that inexperienced writers can fall into this trap of making broad brush statements that serve to make themselves or their businesses more credible but it's just a bunch of platitudes and truisms that sound good but can't possibly be substantiated. And I just wonder what your take was on this in terms of, um, you know, when we're editing content. To, I guess I'm talking about that trust issue again. And I've, I've seen the same thing. You know, um, you always want to put yourself in the best light, of course. If, if you're online to promote yourself, um, you're going to put things in the best light. But you need to be factual. We've all grown up in this era of of marketing and sales. It's it's a constant in our lives, and we have really good BS detectors. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, 
and I think I think a good copy editor would do this in other places as well. Um, you know, are we are we being factual? Um, do we have supporting evidence for statements we make? Um, we should be as specific um, as we can in our advice to our writers uh, when we're writing when we're doing the editing. Um, but we should help them be factual. We should help them understand when they should link to uh, supporting evidence um, and just help them write in a way that, yes, is promotional, but isn't a load of hooey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There was, um, uh, I remember a while back I was um, chatting with this guy. Um, he goes on online by the name of the White paper guy and uh, i think his name's gordon graham and he talks about when he um he's writing white papers um which he publishes online um on behalf of clients there's there's several things that he he looks for when he's creating his content but two pieces of advice were to sort of think like a lawyer but also like a journalist and it, again it's that stuff that you've talked about erin about being engaging um you know so writing like like you might expect a journalist to be so you know trying to draw the audience in but mm -hmm. but at the same time thinking of the you know are, are you telling the truth are you building that trust are you thinking with a legal head on not because you think somebody's going to sue you but because i you know it's about representation and um and so i think that that's such a, a good issue to think about that concept of of just holding that 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 notion of being truthful absolutely and i think when we were talking a while back about this stuff you were talking about failures and and wins and honesty around that do you want to say a little bit more about that well actually i think um uh talking about past failures or or difficulties um does a lot to build trust um it it brings out the human side it's it's all linked to storytelling isn't it mm -hmm. and um and being open and honest with people and um i i think um we can do that in a way that um actually builds our credibility when we we can admit to failures and how we've worked through them than um, pretending that we're absolutely perfect, which um, is almost less credible, really, I think. I don't know what you feel about something like that. Although I, I must admit, when I see people going on too much about their they're sort of like you, know, it, you don't want it to be too woe is me no oh definitely not right. no that's another thing I think that, mm. that I've seen a lot of marketing style sort of approaches to or marketing business approaches to getting attention mm. with web content is is by doing trying to get the sympathy vote almost the sympathy vote works in non-profit yeah you know, right. so if yeah. you're raising funds for kids with cancer, then the sympathy vote uh, works. It's, it's telling that story of, of this child and always making it personable, uh, an individual that they, people can connect with and, and wanting to help them. You're appealing to people's better natures. Mm. Um, but yeah, if you are, are there to promote yourself and all you can do is, is talk about failures, is talk about the woe is me, um, people are going to be turned off by that. They're okay. going to see that. We just feel uh, our defenses go up. Um, we feel like there might be a scam behind it, or we feel that it's it's too much. It's uh, too much of an emotional connection. We need some distance from that. So you're looking for a balance. Um, 
it is good to share some past failures because it shows you as human. And huh. It means your your readers, uh, your audience can say, okay, you know, I can connect to that. I can relate to that. Huh. Um, but you want to show them a way out. Yeah, solutions. Yeah. I made this mistake and and but here's how I overcame it or here's where I am now oh, and it yeah. won't always be that way. So it could be that way for you too. Yeah. Did either of you read uh, Vanessa Placer's blog post for the SFEP in the last week? About... I, haven't, I haven't read it yet. It's on my to-do no. list. It's terrific and it's about exactly that. It's about a difficulty that she had um, with a client and um, how she... Um, overcame it basically and it was a very very difficult situation I think we should put a link to it because I think it's really good um and she's very honest in it about um her her role in it in perhaps not identifying red flags mm -hmm. earlier on um but then she goes into detail about how she worked through it and dealt with it in order to preserve her relationship with her mm -hmm. project manager and it's mm -hmm. it's very um very, very very useful and it's very good for other editors to see that but also for writers to see that as well mm -hmm. um about um where the relationship broke down a little bit um and how they moved through that so um i think that was where that sort of honesty um uh, really would have really worked, um, really worked yeah in mm -hmm. recognizing her how professional she was in dealing with it actually yeah oh, oh that sounds terrific mm. Do you think there's um, an order of play when it comes to editing web content, Erin? I think there is, but it's up to the individual editor. Um, it's always more efficient to chunk your work, um, to do like things at the same time. So it might be looking at the title and looking at the subheads uh, first. Mm -hmm. um, you catch more. You catch more errors that way. Um, but I think it's going to be what you're most comfortable with okay. as long as you have mm -hmm. a solid routine um, and it could change from project to project. So I, I keep coming back to the um, the client I worked for earlier today, but they have a very fussy CMS. And so I have a very specific order for reviewing the, okay. the article and the SEO mm -hmm. yep. so that I don't forget anything. Yeah. yeah. Checklist, checklist approach is really checklist. helpful, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And on a related note to checklists, um, can we talk about style sheets? Because Louise and I use these all the time when we're working on non-web content. So how do they factor into web work? Similar principles, I'm assuming. Absolutely similar mm -hmm. principles. Um, it, and again, it's going to depend on the project. So mm -hmm. if you are, if your job is to copy edit the blog posts on a regular basis. You might have a running style sheet, mm -hmm. um, which I do for several clients where um, it's based on the house style and I'm adding to it um, on a regular basis, but it's, it's only one sheet for the whole site. Whereas mm -hmm. if I'm working on, if I'm going to work on a big project, um, I have some clients who publish what we call ebooks, <laughs> which are <laughs> generally long articles yeah. um, mm -hmm. that may be published as a PDF. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of look at those as distinct projects um, and, and styles might change between them. Um, and 
so I'll have distinct style sheets for them. But I right. always use the style sheet. Love them. Who yeah, can keep all, all that them. information in their head? Exactly. Right. Especially right. when you've got multiple clients, you know, who have different requirements. It's just, we, it's a no-brainer really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> this is kind of related to style. Um, I'm thinking about audience. So Denise is a Scot, I'm English, you're American. And yet, despite our national identities, we all work for clients from all over. So mm -hmm. um, web content's the same. The audience is global. How does that affect maybe some decisions you're making uh, when you, you know, when people are writing and editing for the web? Well, it's going to depend on the website. Um, you mentioned The Guardian earlier. That uses British English. You go to the New York Times, it uses American English. Uh -huh. So we're going to have different style sheets for those two, um, those two sites. So it's really important to talk to your clients about their specific audience. While it's going to be accessible by everybody in the world, who are they aiming it at? In general, you, you're probably not always aiming it at every English speaker. You might be no. aiming it at um, North Americans or um, people over in the UK or over in Australia, and you're gonna you're gonna bring in style for those regional Englishes. Mm. I mean, people are pretty good at. Um, I was thinking. I mean, I grew up on a diet of American TV. I think I'm pretty good at um, translating anything that's mm -hmm. not immediately obvious, or at least you know, learning through context what things mm -hmm. might be. So so actually. Um, you know, although there are some things that I might come unstuck with, I don't know, soccer and football, um, mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with. I know if I if I hear an American talking about football, I think they're not talking about what I mean by football. But you mm. know, there it are... really does it really does come down to knowing your audience, um, which which a web publisher can uh, get at with with their uh, web analytics. Who is who is reading their site? Where are they coming from? And then addressing their needs. Do you have, um, when when Laura Poole and I ran copy editing, we had editors from all over the world reading our site, but it was really primarily North American um, yeah. mm -hmm. right, editors coming to the site. And so we used American English and um, only if an idiom or a reference were really, would really be opaque to yeah. those outside of North America, would we, would we work to to smooth it out or to um, make it more universal. Yeah. But if you've got an audience that's really mixed, yeah, you're gonna wanna use a more global English. You're gonna wanna really think about your idioms, really think about your cultural references. Um, and you're gonna want to keep that style guide tight. You're gonna wanna mm -hmm. follow it closely. You're going to wanna um, really make some careful decisions about not just spelling, but grammar and usage, which can um, be really different between the different Englishes, yeah. um, surprisingly so. But it does still come back to audience. It's really knowing who your audience is. And if most of your traffic is coming from one geographic area, then those are your main readers. Those are the ones you're probably gonna build your style around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just thinking too um, about things like, you know, when, when you mention place names, for example, you know, like mm -hmm. there's overlapping city names, you know, that's important to be clear about those, isn't it? Like. Do you mean which Boston do you mean? The one in Lincoln or the one near where you live? Well, nearish. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think you really have to do that no matter who your audience is. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think you have to really be clear about that. Um, personally, I tend to lean on AP Stylebook because they have um, a, their dateline entry. It's which cities 
in the US and globally need a state or or our country after them. Yeah. Um, I'll, and, I'll, I'll put a link to that in the in the show notes actually are in the AP style um, so that people can, you know, mm-hmm. if people want to mimic you, they can they can lean on that too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's a very it's a very discreet list. If if the city's on that list, it doesn't need a, a country or a, a state um, and they don't update it very often. So they, they're usually spot on with that. Um, and I like to follow that. Yeah, that's hmm. right. Thank you. Great. That's uh, it's been really, really useful advice. Really here. useful. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thank you. So, yeah. So, Erin, where can people get in touch with you if they want your advice or help with their web editing or any other type of editing? They can find me on my website. It's uh, righttouchediting.com. That's R-I-G-H-T. Um, or you can find me on LinkedIn or Facebook uh, or Twitter. <laughs> uh, I, I'm pretty much all over the place. And if you search for Aaron Brenner, I inevitably come up. <laughs> done a good great, job thanks. with my social media. Excellent. <laughs> That's what we like to hear. Yeah. <laughs> so um, let's let's turn to editing bites. So this is the regular part of the show where Denise and I um, offer a recommended tool or resource. So Denise, do you want to start? What have you got everyone this week? So my bite this week is a book called They Ask, You Answer uh, by Marcus Sheridan. And I think it's a must-have read for anyone who wants to write honest, transparent content on their website in order to create trust and build a great relationship with prospective clients. And I've been lucky enough to attend several workshops run by Marcus, and he is an incredible teacher. And the book is chock full of really useful advice for you. Brilliant. Um, I've heard you talk several times about him so and, and the workshops you've done. So that's that's cracking. So um, I love a checklist. So I'm going to my editing bite is going to be Erin's free website style checklist. It's a thoroughly useful one page PDF that you can use to remind you of all the things you need to check before you publish your written web content. So that's all for this week. Uh, thank you, first of all, so much to Erin for spending thank some you, time with yes, us. Thanks thank for you. coming thank on with us. Thank you for and having me. It's been our pleasure. And thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in again to the editing podcast. You can rate, review and subscribe to us via your podcatcher. And please tell your writer, editor and business friends, basically anyone who writes, you can get in touch with us via the Editing Podcast Facebook page. Drop us your questions in there too and we promise we'll get back to you. And don't forget all the links we've mentioned, including Erin's website, are in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.